Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The Ark of the Covenant was central to the life of Israel was central to the people of Israel. In their minds, listen, if the ark of God was missing or the ark of God was not present, then in their minds, God wasn't present. If the ark of God wasn't present, then in their minds, something spiritual was lacking. It just wasn't right that the physical, tangible ark of the covenant was not in their possession. Now, as you read chapter six, the ark, if you've noticed, the ark was mentioned, you didn't count, but the ark was mentioned 15 times in 17 verses. Approximately 11 of the Psalms were written with the ark of God in mind. So that tells us that David had a passion for the ark and it was important to him. David knew where God was and David knew where God was not. And David knew the way to approach God was through the ark. The ark, are y'all getting this? The ark was symbolic of a mediator between God and man. Just like Jesus is the mediator between God and man. The ark is symbolically that mediator. So David in verse 1, he gathers 30,000 men of the best men of Israel to go get the ark, which was in the house of Obed-Edom. Now, before we go any further, let me tell you a bit about the ark. Again, the ark of the covenant symbolized the presence of God among his people. The ark of the covenant was located, you know, inside the tabernacle. The ark of the covenant was like a box. And it was 45 by 27 by 27. It was made of acacia wood. It was overlaid with pure gold. On each corner of the ark were these rings made of acacia wood overlaid with pure gold. And through these rings were these poles made of acacia wood. I don't think they were pure gold. I I, I honestly have overlaid with pure gold. I have to check that. But they were acacia wood, I know that. And these rings went through uh, four four corners of the ark. These rings went, you know, just kind of parallel like that so as to be able to carry the ark. The ark of the covenant, you know, was located in the tabernacle. You know, if you've been in Calvary, you know the tabernacle house has how many compartments? Okay, y'all, I'm saying two, not peace, all right? Some of y'all look like, yeah, he's saying peace. Yeah, peace, brother, peace. No, two, two. We're going to try that again, all right? The Ark of the Covenant has how many compartments? There you go, thank you. It has the holy place and the most holy place. While the people moved, get this, 
from place to place while they traveled in the wilderness. Uh, they would pack up the tabernacle. So you have the whole tabernacle, and then you have, and they would set it up, the holy place and the most holy place. And then between the holy place and the most holy place was the veil of the temple. The veil of the temple was 18 inches thick. Um, and then behind the veil was the most holy place, and in that place was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant is just a box. The two winged angels that sit on top of the mercy seat, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, facing each other, they, that, that's called the mercy seat. That is behind the veil of the temple. And hovering over the mercy seat was the Shekinah glory of God or the visible presence of God. So interesting, the people, when they moved, wherever they moved to, as they moved into the wilderness, they take down the entire tabernacle. They would move, journey, get to a location, set it up again. Holy place, most holy place, build the temple, put the ark back in place, and then the visible presence of God, this cloud, this Shekinah glory of God, would then come into the temple and hover over the mercy seat. This is why the people of God felt very close to the Ark of the Covenant, because it really was the presence of God dwelling among them. Uh, everywhere they went. So the tabernacle, they traveled everywhere they went. It was like a mobile uh, tabernacle. Now, here's the fa fascinating part. Numbers chapters 1 and 2, and I want you to write that down. Read it in your own time. Numbers chapters 1 and 2, as they moved this portable tabernacle, the tribe in, uh, camped out, and they set up. Now, here's where I need you to stay with me. They set up in specific order, north, south, east, and west. And on each side were three tribes. On the east side was Judah. Along with Judah, there were two other tribes, Issachar and Zebulun. The ensign or the flag for Judah, anybody know, was the, you know that because Jesus in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, tells us that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. When Jesus comes back, notice it's at the east. This is the east. Judah is on the east side. When Jesus comes back, the Bible says he's coming back on the east. And he's coming back through the east gate. You know that. So Judah is on the east side. Now, I want you to write this down if you don't have it written down. Judah's on the east side. On the west side is Ephraim or Ephraim. Along with Ephraim is Manasseh and Benjamin. And the symbol of Ephraim was the ox. On the south side was the tribe of Reuben. Along with Reuben are Gad and Simeon. Uh, the symbol or the ensign flag was that of the face of a man. And on the north side was Dan. And along with Dan is Naphtali and Asher. And the ensign or the flag was the eagle. Now the tribe of Levi, listen was the priestly tribe. And the priestly tribe, or the Levitical tribe, was to surround the tabernacle. In other words, the Levites were to be the servants of God, and they needed to camp closest to the tabernacle or closest to the glory of God. Why? Because they served God. 
So get the scene. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. Get the scene. You have tribes to the north, tribes in the south, tribes in the east, and tribes in the west. And in the center is the tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle is the Ark of the Covenant. On each of the sides, north, south, east, and west, on each of the sides, the first tribe, if they lined up in, say, tents of four. Are y'all staying with me so far? If they lined I know it's a little technical, but you'll get this. You'll love this. If they lined up in tents of four, so you got four, and then you might have, you know, uh, 4,000 rows back, you know, tents. If they lined up in tents of four, the first line of tents was the Levi's on each side. The first line was Levi, okay? And that's because the Levi, the tribe of Levi, was the priestly tribe, and they needed to serve the Lord. There's a sermon in there. Uh, we don't have time to go into it. But here's what I want you to note. The largest number of the people camped on the east side, and the smallest number of people encamped on the west side and almost an equal number of people on the north and the south side. So if you were to take an aerial view, here it all is, listen, tied up right here. If you were to take an aerial view of the setup of the children of Israel as they wander and set up the tents and set up the tabernacle, if you took an aerial view and you looked down, you would see the cross. Isn't that interesting? God looks down upon his people and he sees the cross. Already in the Old Testament, we see a picture of the cross, keeping in mind that crucifixion was not a Jewish thing. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians and perfected by the Romans. The Jews' form of capital punishment was stoning. But already, which I find fascinating, already God is giving us a picture of the cross. Already in the Old Testament, before the cross was ever invented. Now, one more thing, and then we move on. Numbers chapter 23 and 24, the prophet Balaam, don't you remember him? The prophet Balaam, remember he was hired by Balak to put a curse on God's people, Israel. So he goes up on this high mountain. So that he could look down on God's people and his job was to curse them. But every time he went up on the mountain to curse them, he wind up blessing them. So he goes up on the mountain. The people are encamped, remember, in the form of a cross. So they get up on the mountain. He gets up on the mountain. He looks down on the people and what he sees is the cross. So every time he tries to curse me, he goes, I Bless you people in the name of the Lord. Why am I saying that? I've been hired to curse these people. Why is this coming out of my mouth? So then he would go to another side of the mountain. And he would see the cross. And he tries it again. You know, this time it's going to work. It really is going to work. I love you people and you're the best God's people on the planet Earth. He's like, what am I saying? 
Where he was supposed to curse them, he winds up blessing them. Where he was supposed to blast them, instead he finds himself blessing them. So he would change his position and do the same thing. Why? What does that teach us? It teaches us this. Got your pen handy? It teaches us this. The cross cancels the curse. And that, I'll wait till you clap your hands right there. And that one concept... We don't have time to develop it tonight, but that one concept, the cross cancels the curse, follows that thread, follows all the way from the Old Testament into the New Testament. The cross and the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross cancels the curse upon our sinful lives. Am I right about it? Well, put your pen down, clap your hands for the Lord. Will you do that? And that's why I tell you, that's why I tell you, listen, you can't be spirit filled and have a demon at the same time. Christians cannot be demon possessed because the cross cancels the curse. So you're either filled with the spirit or you're filled with the devil, but not both. So we have some of our Christian brothers and sisters who like to say, well, you know, if they they have a problem with alcohol, they'll they, they'll, they, they call it the demon of alcoholism. I have the demon of alcohol. I got the demon of smoking. I have a demon of chocolate. I got, I got the demon of, you fill in the blank, it's the demon of, it's the demon of. Listen, you don't have a demon. That, 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 that is your flesh. Okay? Call it, call it what it is. Say amen, saints. Call it what it is. Stop playing. Stop playing. You playing. Stop playing. It's your flesh. And the Bible says, don't try to reform your flesh or don't try to take your flesh to therapy. The Bible says, crucify your flesh. Thank you, son. I forgot, <laughs> actually. Crucify your flesh. Mortify. There's the word I'm looking for. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Don't try to reform it or replace it or rename it. Y'all know I'm right about it. Pray for me. You know I'm right about it. Don't try to rename it. Crucify it. And you have the ability to do so. Because the Bible says the cross cancels the curse. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are set free. Didn't we sing a song tonight about being free? What, 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 was, the, what was the freedom song? Breaks every chain. Yeah, that's when Larisha went off on me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I loved it. Loved it. I was going to sing. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> Sing the song. Breaks every chain. He really does. Because the cross cancels the curse. Come on, clap your hands and say amen. That's right, Pastor. So in our text, in our text, listen, David wants to bring the ark of God back to the people and he wants to have a place for God to dwell. And again, this is a good thing. Remember, King Hiram built David a big, beautiful house. And maybe David is thinking the Lord doesn't have a house. As a matter of fact, some some scholars feel that David wrote Psalm 132 during this time. Psalm 132 verse three says, surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So David really wants the ark of God to have a place. But we'll see. David does the right thing the wrong way. Verse 2 tells us that David took some people with him from Baal Judah to bring the ark of God. 
And verse 3 tells us that they put it on a cart, a new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadad. Again, right motive, wrong method. This is where David went wrong. He took the ark of God from the house of Abinadad and set it on a new cart. Now, again, a bit, a bit of background. First Samuel, were you with me in First Samuel chapter 5 and 6? God judged the Philistines because the ark of God was in their presence, remember? So every place the ark of God landed, there was sickness and there was disease and problems. Remember Dagon, the false god, couldn't stand up in the presence of the ark? And the people couldn't sit down? Remember, because the Philistines were breaking out in tumors in their hinder parts, right? So there's a real problem, and there's an increase in toilet paper sales. Finally, they buy a clue. The ark becomes the proverbial hot potato, going from Gath to Ashton to Gaza to Ascalon, and then finally the Ekronites said, let's send it any place but here. The Philistines put the ark on a new cart, and they sent it back to Israel. Now, that's how it got to Kirjath-Jerim, or in the house of Abinadad. The problem was the ark of the covenant was never to be carried. This is the problem. Numbers chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 15. And when Aaron and his sons had finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, the sons of Kohath, that's the priestly tribe, shall come to carry them. But they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. The ark was never to be touched by human hands. Exodus 25 tells us the ark was only to be carried by the Levites, and they were to carry it by the poles that were inserted through the golden ring. So the ark was never, to, again, to be touched by human hands. Well, look at verse 5. The ark is on a new cart, and the sons of Abinadad, their names are Uzzah, which means strong, and Ahio, which means brotherly. They drove the new cart, and they headed up to Jerusalem. Now, get the scene. There's 30,000 men, and all the priests, and all the musicians, and the music is playing, and guitars, and the tambourines, and obviously people are excited to get the ark home among the people, but again, it's the right thing the wrong way. The motive is good, but the method is wrong. Look at verse 6. It's a pretty serious situation. The ark of God is on a cart. All of a sudden, the oxen stumbles, and the cart shook, and Uzzah tried to steady the ark. Y'all getting that? And the people who were probably, the people are there, they're probably going, ooh, 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 watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. And the music probably came to a screeching halt, and the people got quiet. Think about 30,000 people got quiet all at once. Verse 7, the anger of the Lord was against Uzzah. In the Hebrew, the anger of the Lord reads, the heat of his nostrils. The heat of his nostrils, anger, was against Uzzah, and God killed him, and the whole rejoicing scene changes. David became angry because of the Lord's judgment on Uzzah, and he named the place Perez Uzzah. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark come to me? How will the presence of the Lord come to me? Then this is probably embarrassing for David. Keep in mind, all of his best men are there. The Levites are there. The musicians are there. David is trying to do something that hadn't been done in years, and that's bring the ark of God back home. 
But even though you're trying to do a great thing, listen, you got to do the great thing according to God's word. We can do a great thing and desire to do a great thing, but we have to do that great thing according to God's word and God's plan and God's purpose. You, you can't be doing a great thing for God and, and be disobedient. Say amen. And many times we, we want to do our thing. We, we, we want God to get with our program. And so we throw him on a cart and we seek to bring him along. Even though it's not his will, even though it's not his way, even though it's not his word, it's not obedient. God will never allow anybody, listen to me close, God will never allow anybody to drag him along on their program. Are you getting that from this? They'll never let anybody drag him along on their program against his words, seeking his blessing. It doesn't work like that. So David is angry with the Lord, and he shouldn't be. And the Lord is angry that David is moving the ark the wrong way. Now, you might ask the question, why wasn't the Lord angry with the Philistines? Because when the Philistines, back in 1 Samuel, sent the ark away, they put the ark on a cart, and they watched which way the cows went. And if the cows went toward Israel, then the cart was to go back, to, the, the ark was to go back to Israel. So, but the point is, the Philistines put the ark of God on a cart as well, and God didn't judge the Philistines. So then the question is, why didn't God judge the Philistines for putting the ark on a cart, and he judges Israel for putting the ark on a cart? Well, the difference is, the Philistines didn't know better. The Philistines didn't know. The Philistines didn't have his word. You do. You know to whom much is given, what saints? If you have the word and you know the word and they had the word and they knew nobody was supposed to touch the ark, but yet they took things into their own hands and did things their own way, well, then God judged that. David knew better. David, in verse 10, stopped the whole procession and he left the ark in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Obed-Edom, listen, write this in your margin, was of the family of Koah. The family of Koah, First Chronicles 26, is a Levitical family. It's a priestly family. The Kohatites were a family of Levi. Remember, they were the only ones that God allowed to carry and take care of the ark. And the ark stayed there for 90 days or for three months. Now, imagine Obed-Edom. He's sitting in his living room, watching a game or something. 30,000 men knock on the front door. They say, hey, we're putting the ark in your living room. Imagine that. Imagine having an ark. You, imagine having the ark of God in your living room. What would you be watching on TV? <laughs> you probably wouldn't be watching reality television, would you? Loving hip-hop, I don't think you would. Say amen. You're like, amen, amen, amen. Okay, what it is, you wouldn't be watching it. Well, think about it. The ark of God kind of is in your house. Because if you're a Christian, then the spirit of God lives within you. He no longer dwells in the temple. Now he dwells in you. 
And you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the, 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 the ark of God is in the house of Obed-Edom. And the Bible tells us in verse 11 that the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole household. When David in verse 12 saw the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his family, David brought the ark of God from Obed-Edom to Jerusalem. Now, First Chronicles 15 uh, I think it's verses 1 through 2. Yes, First Chronicles 15, 1 through 2. David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And then David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites. See, he's learning his lesson, isn't he? For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him. Well, if you fast forward in the same chapter to verse 12 or verse 11, pardon me. And David called for Zadok and Abathar the priest and for the Levites and for all those guys. And he said to them, you are the heads of the fathers, the house of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.